0: Mm-hmm. Hey everybody! Really quick before we get started, uh, season five is winding down. Uh, thanks for everyone who's listening. Thank you to the sponsors. Season six is right around the corner, and I'm doing something different yet again for season six. Uh, it's going to have a video component as long as well as the audio component. Uh, and each episode is actually a lesson in itself. So half of the show is a is a uh, dialogue, an interview. The other half of the show, my guest uh, will present slides from uh, a particular lesson that they're really knowledgeable in how to grow an agency how to rank a website we talk to agency owners and seoers it's going to be pretty darn awesome, and you're going to learn a whole bunch. Uh, best way to stay connected to that is mattreport.com slash subscribe. Join the mailing list. You'll know when it's released. Follow me on Twitter, at Matt Medeiros, so or if you just want to see all of my ranting and stuff like that on Twitter, you can just follow at Matt Report. Uh, it's the sort of cleaner, more filtered version of the stuff that I put out. You can follow us there. That should be sometime in August. Really appreciate it. Looking for sponsors. If you've got somebody out there who's willing to sponsor an independent podcast like myself, reach out, Matt Report. Let's get into today's special episode. It's Jason, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. Creator of Weblogs Weblogs Inc. sold to AOL, early investors in Uber, Thumbtack. Created a company called Mahalo and fought Google at every uh, turn and mm-hmm. corner. Created another company that I originally found you through is This Week In, sort of all of the YouTube stuff and live video stuff you were doing. Now you're running Inside.com, news and entertainment delivered via email. I am a huge fan of that as well. You run Launch, Incubator Events, and now you've written the book, the book of angels, as it were. Yes. (laughs) Angels. I like that. (laughs) Angel, uh, how to invest in technology startups. Timeless advice from an angel investor who turned 100 grand into 100 million buckaroos. Jason, welcome to the program again. Uh, Did I miss anything?
1: Uh, it's, um, incredibly, well, yeah, you know, it's one of the great things about, um, history is like people only remember the victories if you have them and then they forget all the losses, but you, uh, brought up Mahalo. So that was great. My PTSD started (laughs) triggering, but it, but it just, uh, Mahalo, we basically, um, you know, um, pivoted into inside.com. So the story is, uh, ended up well, but, uh, you know, we're working like dogs get a return for those Mahalo investors, which yeah. are always, I never give up. It's one of my stupid, it's my, it's one of my either charming or stupid qualities depending on the situation. <laughs> but I never give up. <laughs> one of those,
0: and and obviously uh, want to talk about the book. Uh, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm not a super heavy book reader and I got it. I got an early copy. I did a little, I did a little Jason Calacanis of my own. I just, uh, you know, I contacted your your publishers, I sort of worked my yeah. way in through the back door, and I said, hey, I'd love to talk awesome. to this guy. <laughs> um, I definitely want to talk about the book, but real quick, the, the This Week in Network, I mean, yeah, God, uh, you had This Week in web design, of course, This Week in startups, you had, I think, This yep. Week in movies as well. Yeah. Do, do you think that you were just so early, like the technology yeah, wasn't there?
1: Yeah, for sure. We, what we did was we tried to do a network of shows, I don't know, seven years ago. It's a little experiment. I just me and a couple of my friends put a hundred K in each. We got to the point where it was making some money and there were two breakout shows, Kevin Pollock's chat show.
0: Right.
1: And this week in startups, And all the other shows we were trying to groom talent. And, you know, we had people like Mark Suster doing this week in venture capital. Yep. We had other people doing this week in movies. We did a mad men recap show long before um, things like talking dad. We kind of pioneered that space of doing the show right after. Yep. And so we had a lot of, I would say um, early signs of success, and maybe we should have stuck with it. But I came to this great realization, which was the more important, the more powerful, the more networked, the more credible the host, like Kevin Pollock, Mark Sooster, myself, the, the greater the chance of success. Hmm. If it was an emerging um, host, it probably had very little chance of success, right? So we were able to get an unlimited supply of emerging talent to host a podcast. But none of them were breaking out. And it probably would have taken us three or four years of trying to get them to break out. And then none of the people um, – we had somebody named Dave Pensado doing Pensado's Place, and he was awesome too. But all those people had in common that they didn't really need us because it's so easy to create a podcast that if you're a rich, powerful person – or not even rich. If you just have 500 to, let's say, $2,000 to produce an episode, you can just do it yourself. Right. And not have a boss, not be part of a network. And so uh, we kept having people, you know, who would just call in rich, like Mark Seuss was like, yeah, I can't do it for the next year. I got to raise a fund. I got things to do. Um, and I just had this realization that like all the great podcasters would be independent. And I was right. If you look, Leo Laporte stayed independent, Joe Rogan, Sam Harris, uh, Adam Carolla, all these people have become independent. Uh, let's call it 1 million to $10 million enterprises. I think probably Leo's and Joe Rogan are, you know, above five million. Then you have this like, you know, call it two to five million dollar space like This Week in Startups and maybe Sam Harris and maybe Adam Carolla. In other words, it's enough money for those people to love doing it and not need to have anybody else their boss. So all those people who are trying to make podcasting networks have had a hard go of it. Even Leo, you know, he's got a lot of great shows, but he's had a hard time keeping talent on the network because you know, they go have a life event. They get married. They go have kids. They want to do something else. Right. So it's just hard to be a manager of talent like that. I mean, mm-hmm. SiriusXM is doing a good job of it, but they have like this huge bankroll. Mm-hmm. So I, I think podcasting is this very unique space because you don't need somebody. If you go down that list, all these like podcasting companies, they don't really, you know, Malcolm Gladwell doesn't need the podcasting company, in other words, he can just right. do it himself. So if right. he does it with the podcasting company, it's probably because they're overpaying him.
0: And and, uh, and these and these shows, these either networks or these or individual shows, if somebody's running, they, they become massive platforms and catalysts to sell other either goods and services or maybe yeah. even in your world, uh, you know, you get the advertising, you do a million bucks a year, uh, you pay your staff, whatever, but it's also yeah. it connects you with so many people at the same time, and it makes you become. I, the I always
1: my my view on podcasting when I heard about it from Dave Weiner and. Uh, uh, the podfather, Adam Curry, when they were sort of teaching me about it, I was like, okay, I'm just going to record two conversations for lunches I have a week. And then all of a sudden, it turned into we're about to hit 800 episodes for this week in startup. So it just turned out to be a networking thing for me. And then all of a sudden, it started making money and getting 150,000 downloads an episode. So it's a, it's a pretty big audience now. And it's a great way for me to
0: find founders to invest in. And if people are listening to that, and they're and they're like, "All right, that's it. I'm gonna go start. I'm gonna go start my podcast, uh, folks." It's still a slog. It's still some hard work. It's, it doesn't come. It doesn't come that easy. I know. I mean, I'm only at maybe 300 episodes, and man, some days it can be super draining uh, to keep this stuff going. Uh, let's just talk about uh, the book, the structure of this book. For a dullard like myself, <laughs> who doesn't like to read, yeah. it is. I mean, you say in the, in sort of sort of the winding down chapters that this is this is the playbook. This is your you know decade plus of experiences, sort of uh, all put into this one book. I love the framework. Was I mean, is that your idea, or when you get to a publisher, they say, "Look, this is a complicated topic. We need to sort of piecemeal this for people reading it. It's not it's not all this hoopla and sort of uh, Zen like stuff. This is this is the real." Yeah.
1: deal. The pitch was interesting, you know. I've had a a very famous book agent for a decade. His name is John Brockman. He does something called Edge dot org, and he's got Daniel Dennett, Jared Diamond, you know, wow. Sam Harris, had Marvin Minsky, just all the greatest authors, uh, you know, out there, and, and Brian Greene, and then me. <laughs> and I get all these like, I would always get these like, blogging for dummies, podcasting oh, for God. dummies. Yes. You know, search engines for uh, SEO, for dummies. They just uh, they just wanted me to be, a, you know, the dummy author. And it was always like cheesy. Um, and so there was a couple of stories about my angel investing. People started to realize, oh, he's hit a unicorn. Oh, he hit a second unicorn. Oh, he hit three unicorns. And when that started to get released, you know, the value of the portfolio um, started to get released. The Wall Street Journal did a story on it. People were pinging the publisher saying, pinging my, my agent saying, hey, is he going to write a book? And I just thought to myself, everybody I meet, like the stupider or inic- more inexperienced they are, the greater the chance they've written a book. Right. <laughs> so like people who have no life experience and nothing to share, they write books in order to become subject matter experts. And I just thought, isn't that backwards? Like, shouldn't the books go to the subject matter experts? And I said, I just thought, what am I a subject matter expert on? Like, I was a good entrepreneur. I don't, I'm not like an elite, great entrepreneur, like folks I've invested in who've done much better than me mm-hmm. um, I was a good entrepreneur but um, angel investing is something I have you know a lot of credibility on since I've done hundred and fifty investments now and now six of them have become unicorns uh, another company today announced that they raised over a billion dollars um, making metal 3d printers called desktop metal which I was an investor in the first round of funding. Nice. So I was like, this is something I could do. And then I looked at it and I said, how do you frame it? I could make something for angels, but I, it really, the book is about how wealth is created in the 21st century, as opposed to how wealth was created in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I'm going for. And if you read the book, you realize it's not just for angel investors. It's for anybody who wants to know how money is going to be made in the next century. And money is, you know, and wealth is not created by, you know, real estate and being rich dad, smart, you know, poor dad, you know, smart secret millionaire on the block, art of the deal, you're not going to become rich through some deal making or real estate in all likelihood. That dream is over. Um, That was a really good model. um, When the white collar boom was happening, you get a white collar job, marry somebody with a white collar job, bring peanut butter and jelly to lunch. And then just, you know, don't go out to dinner, take staycations, save, 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 pay down your house. But at that time, when our parents bought their houses, my parents bought their brownstone and Brooklyn for I think forty-five thousand dollars, and my mom was making as a nurse forty thousand, and my dad was probably making thirty thousand as a bartender. So their house was like one t- less than one times their yearly income. Now, if you live in New York, a brownstone's a million dollars, and most people are making let's say they were blue. Forget about blue collar, just white collar people. Like they're probably making hundred to hundred fifty k each. So let's just call it best case scenario three hundred thousand a year. The, a, a brownstone in, in Brooklyn is a million dollars or two million dollars, depending on where in Brooklyn. So it's you know five times, seven times the household income. And if forget about Manhattan or other places, so you know in San Francisco is an even further joke. So the idea that you would have these two white collar people suffer and then hit this amazing real estate thing, then buy a second home and leverage it into a second home is kind of laughable. Yeah. um And also, people are graduating with what at the same time people's. Debt is growing, so oh, the that's... educational debt. People are coming out of school at fifty, hundred k each. So they have household debt of one hundred fifty thousand. Then what happens? Boom. Um, you uh, you have that one hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt. You're not paying for your mortgage until you're thirty five. Right. In this book, I explain, hey, if you can get on cap tables of high growth companies, specifically in Silicon Valley, because the hit rate there is so much better, and the numbers are just, you know a zero at a zero or two from any other market in terms of the scale of these companies you could really hit a home run and move from poor to rich from middle class to rich from rich to ultra rich and that's really what i was trying to do there and my hope is that you know if a hundred thousand people buy the book and you know five or ten percent of them start angel investing maybe a thousand of them have this incredible or a hundred of them have this incredible result and if the other one's just you know are plus or minus fifty percent of their money that's a fine outcome too yeah, uh, but it know. really is something that uh, it's it, it is angel investing is something that's becoming uh, something that a lot more people can do.
0: Yeah, and I want to I want to talk about that, but I also looked at this book for, of course, for the folks who are listening, the the the, the WordPress. Product companies, uh, hosting companies, people who are doing, you know, upwards of maybe a million bucks a year selling WordPress plugins. This is a great book to reverse engineer these frameworks, right? How does Jason go to look for founders? Now, these founders out there, I mean, pick up the book just because now you can reverse engineer that. And it's structured so damn well that, you know, you just go right zero in right on the on the part where Jason's negotiating or setting up the uh, the interviews. I mean, it's it's it's, it's exactly like correct.
1: That is um, that is a very astute point. There's actually a chapter in there for founders where I just say, like, if you're a founder and you bought this book to game the system, congratulations, you smart, (laughs) smart mother effers, like, I salute you. And then here's what you need to know about what angels are going through and how they make their decisions. Um, Because they're human beings, too, who are trying to figure this out. And you're not trying to game them. What you want is to have, you know, to really be in sync. Um, And for the people making a million dollars a year, like, they could either become angel investors or they could actually read the book and understand, hey, this is what venture, uh, venture capitalists and angel investors are looking to do. Right. How do you accelerate a million-dollar, that, that wedge strategy of doing templates and you know, being a single person who makes a million dollars a year and one person with a couple of freelancers makes a million? And how do you add a zero to that revenue or two zeros? And I think if you read the book, you'll, you'll have an idea of how things like that can scale.
0: So uh, a little bit on that that point. So a lot of folks who do uh, do this, who are who are doing the WordPress thing, and they're and they and they're selling some digital products. A lot of them are developers, right? They they started you know coding in the basement. They upgraded to coding in the garage, and now they're they're in a co-working space coding at the co-working space. They're not sort of uh, the marketing type or the entrepreneurial type in the sense of I want to scale this thing, uh, but. You know, what can be said about, you know, at least talking to maybe an angel investor? I mean, are there some benefits to taking a lot of these folks are just sort of gun shy by, for taking money is are there some benefits to it that that you could sort of peg off for people who might be yeah. afraid? So if you have
1: a cash producing business, let's say it's profitable and throwing off, you know, a $250,000 a year salary for you, that's pretty amazing. You know, uh, consider yourself lucky. You can work from home. You you control your schedule. If you start bringing investors in, um, they are going to be looking – an angel investor is going to be looking typically for a 5 to 10x return. And not not this angel investor. I'm looking for people who can do 100 or 500. But really 50 to 100 is probably what professional angels are hoping that some of their companies do. So uh, a regular angel might be looking for 5 or 10 times their money in seven years. Venture capitalists are trying to invest millions of dollars and maybe do 10x as well with an outside chance of 100 or 200x. So, you know that about them. And you um, are kind of lighting a fuse or hitting a starter pistol when you do take that money. So, it's a very astute observation. You, you, your life is going to change. You're going to have to send updates to them. They're going to have questions. Uh, they're going to give you money, but they're also, hopefully, if they're connected, going to give you credibility and resources and help you strategize about how to add that zero to your revenue. So that everybody involved, all stakeholders, your customers, your partners, your employees, yourself as the founder and the investors win. Mm. And you want to – that's what the cap table is all about, the capitalization table. So you'll have to create a cap table, sell them some shares, give your employees some shares and say, hey, we're all going to go on this journey. You know, The company has a million in revenue. We value it at 5 million. There's 5 million shares in the company. They're all worth a dollar. The investor just put in a half million dollars. They bought 10 percent of the company. They gave us 500,000. Let's deploy that $500,000 intelligently. We'll buy, we'll, we'll hire, you know, uh, five salespeople and give them $50,000 plus commission and hire two more developers. Now we got seven people cranking. And what the people who are your grinders and your audience, the people who know how to grind out and make a real business that people find value from, they typically have um, the great product sense and the great customer sense, but they don't have the scale sense, right? They, or they don't have it yet, right. and so what they have to do is study what they've learned, study their customers, and say, "Hey, maybe the top five percent of our customers or top ten percent have a need that we've learned about that we can double or triple down." So if they looked at it and said, "You know what? We have these three customers out of you know a thousand who are financial companies, and they keep asking for this set of features. Let's tell them that we're building that product, and let's get them to uh, pay." uh, $25,000 a month for that product. And that's what, you know, kind of pulling the string as an entrepreneur and learning about a market. That's what I respect about those grinders the people who get to a million dollars in revenue. I just did my first cannabis investment. Uh, and I I wasn't expecting to do one until maybe California was legal and maybe two years from now when things were a little more sorted, but I found a company that's making a million dollars from advertising and making, doing uh, cannabis tourism and doing cannabis magazines and cannabis festivals. And I was like, okay, that's a good starting point. If they know how to make a million dollars from just traditional advertising and events and stuff like that, maybe they'll figure out some bigger business and they have a bigger business in mind. So I love those scrappy entrepreneurs. Yeah,
0: I I see that come up a lot. Like I see a lot of people – um, you know, who are scrappy, doing a million bucks a year, but then they see these ideas get funded for, you know, multi-millions of dollars and, and they, haven't made a, they haven't made a nickel yet, right? Well, meanwhile, these people are making, you know, hand over fist, hundreds of thousand dollars in, in cash every single month. I mean, are, is that attractive uh, when a company's making money or does that signal like, this is only as big as they're going to get, like we should maybe yeah. not invest in that?
1: An amazing question. So for some people, it is... Uh, a signal um, a negative signal like these people think small but for people who are in the know like savvy people they're going to look at it and go that person built what we call a dude business or a dudette business which is dude makes a million dollars a year dude <laughs> right. makes half a million right. dollars a year right. you know like those people are so smart i have a friend phil kaplan who um, created a company called distro kid and previously he did eft company and Couple of other startups, and he's really brilliant, and he makes these companies like just himself and a bunch of freelancers, and they get to millions of dollars in revenue. And um, if you can be lean like that, you're going to learn stuff. And then there's a time to figure out, okay, I built Mailchimp or SurveyMonkey were co- examples of companies built off revenue that all of a sudden started to scale. And Monkey's case. SurveyMonkey's case they took investment and then in i I believe in mailchimp's case they're at 400 million in revenue and they never they've never taken anybody's money so both things can work and if you want to work with a group of elite investors when you come with that million dollars and explain your vision say listen we made a million dollars it was quite nice we can make we could grow this business 20 percent a year for the next 10 years and we'll make 10 million dollars that's awesome we want to build a billion dollar company here's the billion dollar opportunity and here's why we need 1.5 million dollars for 15 percent of the company and we're going to build it from here to hit these goals. um, That seems pretty credible to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if it hasn't grown for five years and it's just slowly growing, and you say, we're gonna make this business accelerate, you have to have a good story, right? So is it, why hasn't it grown faster? And it might be that you just never had outbound sales and you add an outbound sales team and everything changes. So they would want you to test that theory and probably give you 500K to test it. But most people don't take enough risk. So of that group of people who are making that million dollars a year, half million dollars a year, what they real, what they don't realize is they're so concerned to protest the next net, the nest egg, right? And you know, their upper middle class lifestyle, or let's say, you know, affluent lifestyle. Maybe not rich. They can stop working, but you know, they, they they kind of have a nice place in life. They don't want to risk it, which I understand. But what you have to also realize is if you don't risk it now, there's no chance of outside success. And if you have, if you if you go for an outside success and it fails, and you've built a million dollar business before, you're going to be able to build another million dollar one. Yeah. So. It's it's kind of like, you know, I, there's this kid who climbs Yosemite and other mountains without a rope. And, you know, nobody can, Alex Honnold or whatever his name is, it's just like you watch these videos and you're like, my God, please don't do that. And I don't recommend people climb mountains without ropes. But if you're climbing a, the startup mountain and you fall, it gives you more credibility and you just get to start over at the bottom of the mountain again. Yeah, You don't die. So people have this like idea that if you fail in your startup, you're dead. No, you're more credible. You've learned something. And you get to play, it. you put another quarter in the machine, you get to play the video game again.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's obviously well said. I want to surf- Take more risk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, 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 and and on that note, you mentioned something earlier about uh, sort of they, they understand the scrappiness of creating the product, understanding the customer and the love of building a business, right? They, that's why they did it. But they don't understand the scale factor. Is, is that what you would argue a good angel would come in and say, uh, no pun intended, I guess, but come in and say, hey, look, we're going to bless you with a you know, maybe pointing you in the right direction for a, uh, you know, advisor or building an advisory council or something like that. Is it Does a good angel do that for their entrepreneurs or do you try to stay hands off and not really, you know, push them in a particular direction?
1: Um, it depends on what the founder wants. So, the founder, if the founder wants me involved, I get involved. If the founder doesn't need my help, I get less involved. Um, I like to get a monthly update from the founder. Because it creates discipline with them to write the update. It takes them an hour to write the update. Share the key metrics of the business. Talk about the challenges. Talk about the wins. Talk about the losses, and you know how we might be able to help. If you have that discipline, where you have your metrics dialed in, and you write that update, and you send it to 10 investors and say your management team, you can have like a really open dialogue. And the companies that do that go a lot further because they maybe create a plan. And if you have a plan, you uh, to be successful, and you execute the plan, you will be more successful. you might not succeed but you will definitely be more successful. Right. So people who decide I'm going to create a two-year plan to grow my business from 1 million to in, you know, uh, in year one to 3 million. And in year two, I'm going to go from 3 million to nine. If they don't succeed at the plan and they hit two and six, they will probably be further along than people without a plan. So I'm a big fan of planning and you know, um, having people involved and talking about the strategy uh, and paying attention to the data and the metrics, the great companies do that. So,
0: and I, uh, I think you mentioned on a recent episode of your show that the folks who are who are just shy uh, shyish of saying, nah, I'm not going to give you that that weekly or monthly update" uh, is sort of an indication to you that they're they're not taking their job seriously, or they might not be taking your relationship with handing them some cash seriously in that in that regard.
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, and we, we definitely like to find people who are just serious about the business and, and want to do the business right. So, I think if you're going to take angels, you know you can look at, if especially if you're in that zone of five hundred thousand to a million, a simple email to ten different, you know, angels saying, um, I have a business called blank. We make money by doing blank for blank. Here's a revenue chart, quarterly, monthly, weekly, whatever, and here's a link to our product demo. Like literally, that's what five less than five sentences. Or right. You all of a sudden get this massive, uh, we click on the links and we go check it out and then we're going to take the meeting. Most people write their life story and what they plan on doing. The talkers, the tourists. Hmm. What I love about your audience is they're not talkers and tourists. They're people who've actually built real businesses and they just maybe haven't built a business that is designed to be a billion dollar business. But if you can build a million dollar business, you know, truth be told, you can build a $10 million business. Now, if you have built a million dollar business, I don't know if that means you can build a hundred million dollar one, right. but if you build a million, you can definitely get to 10. And if you get to 10, you've got a business that's going to be worth five to 20 times that number. Um, and you can build a team around you of investors who can tell you what people you need on your team to hit that next milestone. That's that's the trick. You know, you're bringing these people in, they're vested, and now you have five people working towards your success who have skills that you don't have, right? right? And again, why take the downside risk of, why... Why fear the downside risk when there is none? Mm. You know, it's not life or death. And people have a life or death approach where they just don't take enough risk. I believe in my heart, people don't take enough risk.
0: You know, it, it's, it's funny you say that because I'm a mentor in, a, in an accelerator program uh, out here on the East Coast. And, you know, a lot of these folks coming in, and it's a, sort of like a, a sustainable accelerator. So, you know, businesses that are going to, you know, uh, help the local community drive jobs, uh, that kind of thing. Nothing like in the tech sector, although some come through the tech sector. So many people starting companies now they feel like it's life or death, right? And and some of them are trying to do it because they're jaded from, you know, uh, the Shark Tank shows that are out there, right? They think like, all I have to do is get to this and I'm going to win a million bucks, right? They, they think of it like a game show, I guess. And, and it's sort of sort of not the case. But also, look, you can get up the next day. You can start another business, get another job or something like that and take another swing at it, I guess.
1: Um, it's correct. And uh, they're. Shark Tank's an amazing show for inspiring people to get involved. What it hasn't – it has put in people's mind that that money in some cases is like the the reward. That's the prize when right. in fact that's the starter pistol as we right. talked about earlier. Right. That just means, OK, now you've deployed it and those people want you to return. It's an investment, which means they want a return on capital. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I think it's uh, it, it's been great that so many people are inspired to start companies. But finishing is important.
0: As an investor, this is the inside. This is an inside baseball question for the for the direct folks uh, in the audience. Uh, we're all using WordPress. It's all open source. Does that scare you as an investor? Do you not touch open source? Do you know uh, investors that do and don't? Uh, that might be as for some guidance for folks listening.
1: Uh, it is uh, amazing. Everybody wants to do open source based startups so they saw what happened with wordpress.org right and i've got i've got the name of the other cms but the boston company that now oh
0: aquia um, drupal
1: yeah drupal yeah. yeah so these companies are real and they make a ton of money and i think android has put to bed anybody's fear that like you can't do an open source thing and also control it right mm. so you know android's done a google's done a pretty good job of having their cake and eating mm-hmm. it too haven't they yeah. You know, they have like Android and they figured it out. And, you and know,
0: Te- Tesla is doing open source, I think, even with their chargers uh, coming up, right? They want to open source their charging station so other manufacturers can, can sort build, of, them, yeah. build them.
1: Yeah, I think they, they what everybody realizes is like, you know, at a certain point, um, you pick where you want to make your money and make your company defensible. And so, you know, for Google, you know, everything is open source except for their algorithm and their search engine. You can't figure out, that's a black box, right? But they'll open source everything else to kill their competitors. And right. then, you know, Facebook is like, yeah, we're not gonna make our, we'll make our hardware platform open source and we'll have everybody working on grinding the hardware crust down. But we're sure we're not gonna make our ad network or a social graph, that's not gonna be available. It would be lightly available in the API. If you get any kind of traction in the API that gets people to leave Facebook, we're gonna right. turn you off, right? Like the API for Facebook says the API is not designed for people to make people leave Facebook. Right. So if you use the API thinking you're going to bring people to your platform, the second you get traction they just say you're breaking the terms of service.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. So so is so let's let's pivot and talk about your your current uh, uh, business inside.com is, yeah. is playing in somebody else's sandbox I mean as you learned with Mahalo as sort of yeah. some of us listening in, uh, listening now we've learned that from wordpress.com versus wordpress.org two different businesses two different entities uh, is your play in email sort of saying you know what to heck with these platforms I'm just going to go direct uh, And it it's has-
1: exactly you, you couldn't be more right okay. I, after years of being frustrated by you know Google was a big partner of ours I was in there First quarterly report for weblogs inc was the partner that they shared that was making money off of advertising we were making over two thousand dollars a day we were like the first million dollar independent company partner so they used us as a case study weblogs inc and gadget and they used new york times and i had this great 10-year relationship i knew the founders of the company i knew everybody there and then they just decided to like go ham on us and all the other content sites and destroy us and then when i called them you know, like I couldn't get my phone calls returned. And I was like, but we're partners. And then Matt Cut's like, we don't have partners and you don't have a penalty against you. I'm like, 90% of our traffic's gone. And here's a thousand emails with your team talking about how great our partnership is. He's like, and so they basically lied and you can see them getting dinged. They just got a $2.7 billion fine yep. in the EU just on comparison shopping. So they're going to get dinged for local. They're going to get dinged for all these other things as well. They really use their monopolistic position to hurt the companies in their ecosystem, which I understand, I, I, I wouldn't have done it that way. They were loved originally by partners. What they should have done is just given us a licensing fee for our content and said, hey, if we put your content on the one box or whatever, we're just going to give you 10 cents a CPM. And all of a sudden, Yelp would have been getting you know a million dollar a month check and everybody would have been happy and Google would have been making 100 million off of ads. But they, right. there was a there was a way for them to do it. but And I, I think they probably regret it now and they're probably trying to fix it. Or they're laughing all the way to the bank. It doesn't matter. I, I feel like they're I feel like they're doing it
0: again with with YouTube content uh, and sort of just changing suck, the rules. Yeah, sucking yeah. the life out of uh, out of ad revenue. Yeah.
1: No. All of a sudden, they said if you have under ten thousand views, no ads. Right. And if you talk about if CNN talks about a terrorist attack, they can have advertising. If right. an independent person who helped build YouTube into what it is, like Philip DeFranco, mentions a terrorist attack, they won't put ads on it. So Philip like went crazy on them. He's like, wait a second, I helped build this platform and now you're changing. So Philip's leaving the platform. I saw that coming. I left the platform. And so email is one of these great things. So you can go direct and you can make money directly from consumers. So not even having to rely on advertising. So now we're going and saying to our customers, um, hey, pay for the content. We'll give you some extra content if you pay. And if you want free, you get, you know, whatever it's going to be, 20% or 60% of the content for free. And some percentage, 50-50, we're not sure yet, 60-40 will be uh, for the paid people and for people who contribute. And we did it with Launch Ticker, our first email newsletter. And of the 27,000 people, we have over 1,000 paying. So about 4%. If I can replicate that with the 200,000 subscribers on Inside.com's 26 newsletters, uh, we'll have a great business. Uh, We'll have 8,000 paid subscribers. We'll be making a million dollars a year. That pays for a lot of journalists, right? And you have 20 journalists working from home for that. So I'm really interested in owning a deep direct relationship and now if you think about it gmail is even trying to
0: oh yeah that's gonna be my next question
1: with their tabs right and putting you in their uh, thing but it's so hard for them to do and um we are even going to be going we started experimenting with sms and you know owning people's relationship there so i think use any of these other platforms if it gets your customers but own a direct deep relationship i can't tell you how many people i know who have apps and have no emails right it's like get the email address of these people and email is the big growth hack for Twitter uh, and for a lot of other sites, where they email you, here's what ha- here's what you missed. Right. That was the big hack for a lot of these companies. So if you're not collecting emails everywhere and providing massive value to those email subscribers, you're doing it wrong. Yeah.
0: And I mean, again, folks who are listening know, I mean, WordPress itself being an open source platform, you can do whatever you want. I mean, we have tons of folks in the audience who are building membership sites. People are coming to the site. They're, you know, they're paying either nine bucks a month, 200 bucks a year. Transaction happens right on a WordPress site. They can control the content, put up a paywall, all that fun stuff. What's the product evolution of uh, inside.com, do you, do you then sort of spin back to where you were five, six years ago and start creating video content along with this stuff? audio? Maybe, anything,
1: yeah. Anything's possible. I think the goal is once you have 10,000, 20,000 emails, um, you start to have this virtuous cycle where the news is coming to you and you can, you can bolt anything onto something with 20,000, 30,000 emails, and it's going to have some amount of success. So it's a very astute observation. You know, it's, it's very possible you know, inside AI could have a weekly podcast and the email would drive the podcast and we'd be, and the, you know, the email content would drive the topics of the podcast. So it's possible we can layer on podcasting onto email. What I found was every business I looked at kept saying, you know, if we have, if email is the growth thing, why don't we make email the core thing? right? Right, Right. So if everybody's looking at saying, Hey, email is the thing to get growth. What if the entire product is centered around email? and engagement and opening it so that's really what i'm focused on and i set a goal in the beginning like let's get a certain number of opens we hit that then i said let's get to 50 newsletters we're halfway there now i'm saying let's get to one or two percent of the people who are free paying and that just started three or four weeks ago but it's promising i've you know, already got thousands of dollars in monthly re- reoccurring revenue and uh, it's a very lightweight business like many people who are part of your audience, I'm like literally aspiring to hitting that million dollars yeah. in revenue and having 20 full-time 50K a year journalists working from home. Yeah. And a, a 50K salary for a journalist working from home or, you know, 40K plus benefits or something in that range. And you get people with three, four, five years experience. We have this thing in New York and San Francisco where I think journalists need to make 70, 80, 90, $100,000. It turns out, you know, if you're living in New Hampshire or Arizona or other places, to get a work-from-home job with benefits for forty or fifty k is tremendous, yeah, tremendous absolutely. opportunity because you can't get that salary. If you do get that salary, you probably have to drag your ass into an office.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. I do miss your. Uh, I do miss your inside drones uh, uh, YouTube series that you were doing at, at at one point. It was it was. Yeah, I do miss that. that. Was that was good.
1: We'll we'll get back to it. What we found was we weren't getting. It was cart before horse when we yeah. started doing some of those tests. We weren't getting the engagement that we wanted and then we're trying to figure out how do we grow it so I was like oh let's work backwards you know
0: how Uh, how do you and one as we sort of wrap up here because i know you're a little crunched on time the how do you live in that happy chaos right and and let me just stage that um you know i was talking to a founder today and in my mentor session i was like okay you got you're selling your product, you're out there, you're pushing it, but then there's like this little cloud above you and that little 20% of ideas and testings and like little things you want to try sort of just floats up there and you sort of pull things out every time every now and again, like you're inside drones, maybe car before horse. How do you manage that? Because I mean, I feel like you do a lot of that. You're always testing things. You're always trying new ideas. Yeah. You don't shy away from it, but and is, there a, no. is there a way for you to manage that?
1: Yeah, for sure. So here's how I look at it. Um, I look at startups themselves when I angel invest them and I look at my own little tests as satellites, little missions, right? So instead of like doing this, you know, if you want to find life in the universe, I think the way to do it is to, to send out a hundred probes to a hundred different planets that could have life on them and just see if you get a return signal, right? right. So that's what, you, that's the way to look at these experiments. And if you get to a planet that you think is in the Goldilocks zone and should be inhabitable, And you get there and there's nobody there. Great, you can cross that one off the list. And as you start crossing them off the list, you're gonna start getting data. So, oh, doing a podcast about drones didn't work, but doing a newsletter did. Okay, what's making the newsletter grow? Oh, doing interviews with people who are CEOs of, you know, drone companies means they retweet it and people get value from it and blah, 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 blah. You know, and you start figuring out what works, which, you know, experiments are getting you closer to finding life, right? And which ones are not. And sometimes you gotta cross things off the list to know they don't work. Mm. Um, and that's what you're that's really what entrepreneurship is about is you're you're just trying to triangulate around a signal, and sometimes it's a weak signal, but you know, the signal starts getting stronger and stronger, and revenue and engagement are the signals. So open rates are the signal, right? And we when we started Inside, we have a newsletter called Inside Daily Brief, which is just about the news of the day. And we realized, hey, people were 40-50 percent of people were opening it in the mornings. And then people were telling us the next day that a lot of the news was stale. So I said, okay, let's run a test. Take the entire take a thousand people on the list and send like a thousand of the ten thousand people or twenty thousand people, whatever it is, a second edition at three o'clock in the afternoon with whatever else has happened, like an update. And just tell them it's an update on what was happening in the morning news. Like four people were like, I didn't ask for this. We're like, We'll unsubscribe you. And three of them were like, Don't unsubscribe me, I love it. But they were kind of upset that they weren't. And I was like, listen, we're just so I just told the whole list. Listen, we're moving to twice a day. If you don't like it, unsubscribe. So it's like, I only want once a day. I was like, we don't provide that. They're like, okay, you know, and they're like, you can't do that. And like there's always like a couple of people in every crowd who are like, you know, the people at a restaurant who are like, you can't charge for bread. And like the restaurant's like, we charge for bread, you know. (laughs) Okay, fine. You know, or you can't. A hamburger should come with French fries. So, you, why? How, how do you charge for French fries? It's like, well, not everybody wants French fries. So, we we charge an extra dollar for French fries. It's just the way we chose to do it. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. And sometimes people listen too much to their customers, right? So, you got to understand the the overall, you know, impact of the metrics, and that just requires having not a discussion about emotions or feelings or predictions or who's in charge, but data mm-hmm. and crafting an experiment. So. The the Lean Startup is a great book by my friend, Eric Reese, that talks about this lean startup methodology, which everybody listening to this should be familiar with. Yeah, definitely. But what's the least costly and quickest way to get the signal to understand if this is going to work or not? That's your goal. How can you cheaply figure it out? And the way I cheaply figured it out was, you know, let's just put a newsletter out there inside how to news app. Hundreds of thousands of people downloaded the app, only one per, less than 1% used it a day when we send emails. 30 40 50% of people open each one
0: yeah.
1: and we send two a day. So if you put that together, we went 50x yep. using an old technology and we're and now we don't have seven developers working on an app, eight developers working on an app. You know, the whole app team was maybe eight people, very highly paid people. Right. We can redeploy those eight people salaries and hire a dozen journalists and get further. And that's no dig to the it just turned out that news apps didn't work. I mean, I was an investor in Circa and a bunch of other News apps I loved and used, and nobody made a news app that's worked. Right, it just doesn't work. People forget they have
0: it. Yeah, um, and I, I remember when you launched that, and I was like, "Oh man." I don't know if I'm going to be using this app all the time and I installed it. But then when you pivoted to the uh, to the straight up email, I was like, yes, this is because this is, this is all I, I swear to God, this is not a, this is not just the, because you're on my show and because, you know, I'm a super fan, but it's like it's the only place I read news now. Like I don't go into Facebook and even dare click on an article one because I don't want to get retargeted Two, I don't want to see all the bullshit comments that people have to say about stuff. I just want to see the news headlines, get the synopsis and then click on it if i if if i so desire and, and and i think inside really hits the mark on that thank you oh man uh, so one last follow up on that uh, ad free f- uh, and just go membership uh, monetiza- monetization model moving forward or maybe probably a co- probably a
1: combination so in the free ones we'll probably have the you know we'll have free ones and you can rock out with the free one and there's a little bit of advertising in it and then we'll have the space of users who pays yep. one of the things we're experimenting with is just you know, um, letting people turn off the ads. So in launch ticker, we let the thousand people turn off the ads and I think 10 of them or 20 of them took the time to do it. Mm. So you can turn the ads off technically by just clicking a button in your profile settings. And it turns out nobody does. People like to see the ads if they're targeted. So I think you can have your cake and eat it too. I think you can have a paid, you know, vanity fair filled with ads. Um, so, you know, it's, that's a pretty
0: cool idea because I guess if somebody clicked on that, you could, the the paid for newsletter just simply doesn't come with ads, and if you don't want to see ads in your email, uh, as you're scrolling the headlines, um, just pay for it. Yep. Right. And it's super easy. Makes sense.
1: I, I I think like you know there's this group of people like when Hulu came out with I had a Hulu subscription for ten bucks, it had ads. Right. It was making me crazy because Netflix doesn't have ads, and I'm paying ten bucks for that. Then they right. made a thirteen dollar version had no ads. I upgraded to that. <laughs> I doubt. I think there's probably like twenty percent of people are sensitive enough that they would pay the extra three dollars an extra 36 dollars a year and then most people would not so the, in this day and age i don't know you have to choose i think it would be brilliant for netflix to have a um you know uh version where today you know this saturday mercedes is making netflix free and you can watch orange is the new black and all the original shows are free this saturday brought to you by Mercedes, and you have to watch a Mercedes ad at the beginning and take a survey at the end, and Mercedes could just make, you know, a Saturday, Mercedes day on uh, Netflix, and Netflix gets all the people to download and sample the shows, uh, and they give them, you know, $10 million or $5 million for doing it. Like, just do one one day a month where Netflix is free.
0: Right. Yeah. It'd be, nice. it'd be great onboarding. Yeah. No, absolutely. Jason, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this sure. look. I am. Thanks lonely. for reading the book. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> no I problem. I appreciate it. You know, you were like, I was like, oh, well, you know, you send the book to a lot of people and they're like, yeah, you know, like, what did you like about the book? You actually had like specific moments in the book. You actually read it. Yeah, so I, I really appreciate that. I, I
0: actually thought you were going to say, how did this schmuck get the book?
1: <laughs> uh, no,
0: it's, I, listen, I, Listen, I'm only, I am only a 10 minute flight away from Nantucket. So whenever you want to have a beer, Ooh. the next time you're in town, <laughs> you let me know. Oh my
1: God. So you're on the Cape somewhere? Or what yeah. I'm
0: uh, Dartmouth, Mass. So it's just, I hop yeah. over to New Bedford, hop on the airline. It's about 10, 15 in the air. It's I love beautiful. that place. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Be where, careful. Yeah. Where can folks find you uh, on the web to say thanks? Oh, well, Twitter. Uh,
1: my Twitter handle is Jason, J-A-S-O-N. Same with my Instagram. And if you want to check out inside.com take a look. Um, and um, Angel, the book is in stores now. And if you tweet me your receipt, I will give you a unicorn number and a name. <laughs> that
0: is hilarious, by
1: the way. It's pretty hilarious. Yeah, like 300 <laughs> people have done it. So we give them a unicorn name and a unicorn number. So you count up, we're going to do a 1000 unicorn names for the people who tweet the first 1000 people to tweet their receipts. And we're 300 in. So that's good.
0: Go grab the book, folks. Uh, even if you're not considering Angel Investment, it's a, an amazing book to reverse engineer to find those uh, those angel investors out there, uh, and you know, get that money into your business. Try to scale. Stop being sure. the uh, the developer in the basement, or be the developer in the basement if you want. But uh,
1: yeah, and just add a zero. <laughs> just add, add a, a zero. zero.
0: Just add a zero. That's
1: what I always tell. That's what I always tell my founders. Like, just add a zero. Then they add the zero. I said, okay, let's add one more. <laughs> <And we're done.
0: laughs> uh, that's awesome stuff. It's mattreport.com. Mattreport.com/slash subscribe to join the mailing list. Thanks, everybody.
1: Thanks, Matt.